0: You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug
1: Draper. I love it. Here we are another edition of Global Trade This Week. I am your host, Doug Draper. I reside to you in the Intermountain West of Denver, Colorado and my co host on the other side of the country is my good friend, Mr. Pete Mento. Pete, Global Trade This Week, another edition. How you doing?
0: What the hell is Inter- Mountain West? What, what is this is new to me, buddy. Intermountain yeah, Inter- West.
1: Yeah, so we're kind of like, not all the way to the west, we're like inner mountain West. <laughs> I just I explained it by restating my comment, so I don't know. Doug,
0: sometimes I think that you and Keenan say things about Colorado just to force me to Google things after the show. Yeah, but that's OK. It's so, all right, yep. man. I'm, I, I learned something cool today. So, international west. west. So, well,
1: how, you got to. How is the uh, the granite, the great granite state? Then
0: it's always fabulous. Um, the air is cleaner. The, uh, the the people are freer. The guns are more bountiful. This is a, a kooky place, man. This is uh, for those of you who've never been to New Hampshire. Not big on rules out here. Not big <laughs> on requesting permission. This is about as close to a uh, chaos and anarchy as you're going to get in this country but you know you get used to it it's it's uh, yeah. it's it's a it's a fascinating place to be but i i live in probably the only big city but the, the farther you get from this big city the more it turns into um sort of a stanley kubrick film the farther you get uh-huh. away from here so it's it's a lot of fun buddy it's a lot of fun
1: Good. All right. Stanley Kubrick Films and Intermountain West. <clears throat> I think that's a, a great way to kick this show off. So yeah, what do you got for us? Topic off. one.
0: Yeah. Topic one goes back to what seems to every couple of weeks we got to talk about EVs, man. We got to talk about electric vehicles and I get to tie in global trade. This week with electric vehicles. So, one of the big problems you have with building electric vehicles is you have to get the uh, rare earth minerals and the rare minerals necessary to build the batteries. And most of the necessary materials to do that, unfortunately for those of us on this hemisphere, are in China. So, it forces the United States and companies engaged in building, you know, these pretty cool cars to have to go over to that side of the world and uh, hat in hand beg for them. That's not necessarily going to be the case anymore. So it turns out that Chile, that beautiful country that is known for being pretty progressive in the way that they deal with the United States, pretty open-minded, pretty cool about working with us, happens to be sitting on some of the largest deposits of rare, available rare earth minerals in the world. So, Doug, not only do they have... Uh, access to rare earth minerals. They're available. Massive distinction. So for <clears throat> for those people who are watching, there's all kinds of rare earth materials all over the world. but It's just hard to get to them, um, hard to access them. They can get to them in Chile. People don't want to invest in the necessary mining in Chile until we have a free trade agreement, a bilateral with Chile because right now the uh, trade agreements that are in place would not give them provisional duty-free treatment back and forth for not only those materials, but for the equipment necessary to get to them. Everybody wants to do it. There's bilateral support for it, bicameral, by, by you know, um, Democrat and, and conservative. The issue is, is that Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell don't want to give the necessary time on the two weeks necessary on the floor to do it. They're is slowing it down, but uh, it's, it's just got to happen in order for this to go. So it's strange. You know, we, we talk so much about the necessary infrastructure to do this, how we've, we've got to have the charging. Nothing's going anywhere on this until we can actually get the the parts necessary to become truly independent. If you look at the way that this infrastructure bill was proposed and what it takes for you to get a car that lives up to the tax structure, it's got to be North American made, bud. It's got to be made by an American company and produced in North America. So mm-hmm. many of the EVs that we're talking about will not live up to the standards necessary. And a huge part of the cost of that comes from the battery. And uh, this is a way to get around that. So they better work this out. I've seen some of the new EVs that are coming out. They are pretty cool. I saw Rivian for the first time ever out on the open road the other day. Not my kind of truck, but I can see where the appeal is. It's beautiful. Um, I you know, keep seeing these Cybertrucks again not my kind of thing, but I can see the appeal. Uh, These new Dodge cars, pretty badass. Uh, The fact that you can do a burnout in real-world drive, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm. And any time that you can walk off the um, dealer's showroom, out of the dealer's showroom with a 1,500 horsepower car that goes zero to 60 in less than 1.7 seconds, (laughs) and it's made in America. Um, The idea that, it's gonna cost less than seventy thousand dollars, I think, for the top of the line model. And you can go out of the showroom with something not too far off of that sort of, you know, base horsepower for like fifty grand. That's um that's gonna have guys buying those cars again and probably cruising up and down the main street. So I don't know. I think it's cool. I'll be the last guy you know probably to buy an electric car, but uh mm. this this Chilean trade deal has to happen in order for this to get moving forward. But
1: yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh a Rivian, I saw one yesterday coming over the uh, for folks in Colorado over Berthoud Pass, coming out of Winter Park. Was climbing and, and hauling ass. The thing it was in my rearview mirror, and they have a very distinct headlight pattern. Yeah. And yeah. I was with my wife, and I'm like, "You got to check out." I was super excited. I'm like, "Check out this car! Check out this car! Check out!" <laughs> it drove right by, and she was like, "What? It looks like a pickup truck to me." So anyway, yeah. um, but I like your point. My, you know. Um, it's kind of uh I've made this mention before the BASF uh BASF uh, we don't make the things that you buy we make the things that you buy better. Um this is a perfect example, right? I mean, it's all great to plug something in your garage and feel good about what you're doing for the environment, but the reality is those components come from a lot of different places and um uh, even with electric vehicles uh it is as well. So um yeah, I think the uh, the mining is definitely something that is uh something we're going to have to continue to deal with. And I'm sure it'll develop some friction because people don't have a good concept. Promoting other podcasts, Pete, we've not done that recently, but on the Uptime Logistics podcast, I've interviewed um, uh, some folks that were involved with the Arizona Mining Association. And there is so much copper that they're mining down there. And I think the accessibility that you made mention of is key. But one of their videos is two kids in a bedroom and they pull out the laptop and one says, hey, cool laptop. And then they have this video for like 45 seconds. It just reverses everything of where that, where that oh, wow. uh, laptop was, was, uh, was built. So everything's in reverse. And it goes all the way back to a copper mine in Arizona to say that laptop wouldn't exist without this rare earth material, which is exactly what you're talking about. That's so cool. I think there's a lot of credence there. Yeah, that's cool, man.
0: You know, I, I, uh, I was on my motorcycle not too long ago. And I was on the highway and I I move at a pretty good clip, you know. I'm probably doing a hundred miles an hour, to be very honest. <laughs> um, Seriously? Yeah, I was probably doing hundred miles an hour hourly. <laughs> and um one of those higher, I think the plaid it had to be. I maybe it wasn't, I don't know. These Tesla's are quick. Just blew past me. I saw I saw, like you said, in the rearview mirror, and um it was a three-lane highway, and I was over in the middle lane, but I got over to the right-hand lane, give this guy some room. And it just, it was like those moments in the Autobahn when somebody in a Lamborghini just goes right past you, you know? And it, it was probably doing easily 130, 140 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And my 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 first my first thing that I realized was that's really cool. And the gearhead in me was, was like, God, I got to get a car that fast, you know, just to play around with. But then the, the gearhead in me said, I'm not going to buy a car that looks like that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to but now that we're at the point where Porsche is making cars that are going to have that kind of performance and Dodge is making cars and Ford's making cars and there there's going to be somebody who's going to put an electric engine in a car that looks like an old Shelby. And when that happens, you mm-hmm. know, dudes like me that drink Bud Heavies and smoke Marlboros and have knuckle-dragging arms, they they're, they're going to go out and they're going to start buying those cars and I think that's where the difference is going to come. But I'm telling you, man, I'll, I'll be buying diesel pickup trucks and real gas Jeeps for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. So what nice. do you got for us, Doug? <clears throat> uh, well, my first one is talking a little bit about something called a digital twin. <clears throat> and um, basic, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, digital twins can exist in lots of different aspects of, of life beyond supply chain. But for those of you that may not know, have heard of the term before. It's essentially a virtual of representation of a physical thing. So in this example, it'd be a virtual representation of a physical supply chain where you can analyze and do dynamics and predict successibility. So it's kind of like a, you know, a game where you could flip the switch here and turn this level there and and kind of see how the supply chain would come out. Data analytics, I guess, would be the modern day version of it. Um, Highly complex things of that nature. You can identify potential bottlenecks in your supply chain. You know, plan strategies, uh, facilities, way to play, where to place inventory, even how things are being consumed in your commodities. So it's like you know the traditional forecasting model that would be the equivalent of a 1980s fax machine, and just hyper, you know, hyper looped it in, into into space. And I think that the terminology you're going to hear more and more. And I really think that there there's some some value in it, right? With the Internet of Things. Uh, continue to mature and how everything is going to be connected. I think digital twin uh, will be used more and more to be predictive, uh, analytical, and and make supply chain decisions happen quickly. And, And the reason I came up with this topic today, Pete, was really I was looking at another article today that talked about the supply chain and how Ports were congested and rates were gonna go up. And then I looked back and like two months ago, they were talking about rates were gonna go down and volumes were continuing to pressure. And just the media fluctuation of what's going on in the world related to supply chain is such a popular topic right now. It seems like everybody is rushing. And when I see everybody, I'm mostly talking media. You and I hopefully are rolled up into that because we do have a pod here and I think we're we enjoying more educational. But I think that there's so much noise out there about how things change so dramatically and everybody wants to have the first piece of information related to this new data point, is that I think that good predictors and good companies that are trying to figure out their supply chain are gonna turn that noise level off, look at the digital twin model and really plug and play their own specific supply chain so they can see really how are things going to be impacted in their world their universe and what they do for their business because i think there's a lot of distraction out there about what is going to happen there what's going to happen here and i think a digital twin is very specific to a supply chain and if used properly and with the technology continue to expand specifically the internet of things i think it's going to be a very robust tool um to to use and and really engage so i'm a fan of digital twin let's see how it evolves
0: yeah man you you, uh... You brought up something that I, I've been listening to a lot about, and that is this this concept of sort of gaming things. And when I went to graduate school, one of my favorite things that I fell in love with, and I ended up teaching, was game theory, and that is this um, this basic concept of using mathematical analysis to understand the likely outcome on as much information as was readily available. So based on all necessary. Uh, inputs and based on all available inputs, what is the likely outcome? So when you have a digital twin, you should be able to game the possible outcomes, which is wonderful. We don't do a lot of it. When you you look at the military, one of the things that they've been doing a lot of lately is taking human beings and making them do war games again and saying, if Russia does this in Ukraine, what's the likely outcome? You know, if there was an invasion in, in Miami by the Cubans, whatever, you know, just making them actually go through it. And then using machine learning and AI to um, take what was done by human beings, bring it to the next level. And what you're talking about here is a great opportunity. It's a fabulous opportunity to take all of those things and combine them, to take all that data and do something with it. One of the saddest things about sort of the, the datification, the, the money balling of logistics, is that most of the people who are doing it don't know a goddamn thing about logistics, Doug. They they pull all this data from everywhere and they say, see, look what I've done. Can I have a gold sticker on the refrigerator? Look at how brilliant I am. But they don't understand what the trends are teaching them. It's like they get on the scale and the scale says, hey, you're fat. But no one says, well, how do I make a diet work? What's the next step? Show me how to work out. They don't have the courage to take that information and do something with it. This is where combining that brilliance of data analytics with real hardcore understandings of what goes on in our industry and forcing people to really game it and allowing those models to go through again and again and again and trusting the process and trusting those analytics could really do our business a lot of good. I don't think anyone's taken the time to really try to do that, try to monetize it and turn it into a real business. Somebody ought to, maybe we should, Doug.
1: Yeah, good, good points. All right. Yeah. Halftime. I love it. Yeah. Uh, of, of course, it's brought to us by Cap Logistics. They're the guys. Kenan, I always say, push the button, turn the levers. We wouldn't be here. Being able to have some fun and, and uh, pontificate on what we think is right or wrong in the supply chain. So right. caplogistics.com. Thank you very much. Please visit their website. All right. Pete, you want to go first? Sure.
0: Yeah. You know, I, the, 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 the things I hate the most, right? Young people and fit people. I just uh, young fit people well I I've been I've been reading a lot about this quiet quitting have you been reading about the quiet quitting
1: yeah for sure yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and this idea this concept of just saying I'm slowly going to just do my job and you know we've had a lot of chats about this um but but here's here's what I I wanted to really share with the audience today the concept is simple I'm just going to do what I was paid to do from the time I'm paid to do it until the time I'm not paid to do it. So when you read all these articles, Doug, that's essentially the gist. It's not I'm gonna do less than I was told to do. It's that I'm not gonna do more than I was told to do. So let's say you have an eight o'clock to five o'clock job in our industry, as an example. And there are very defined things that you're supposed to do. I'm going to do those defined things. I'm going to do them from 8 o'clock till 5 o'clock. And after 5 o'clock, I'm not going to do them. In my experience, just doing that is pretty rare. There's a lot of people in this business that if, if we could just get a whole company of people to just commit... To being focused and engaged and given a damn about churning out good quality work for eight solid hours a day, you would have a top five logistics firm. <laughs> for everybody, operations, sales, IT, admin, HR, if everybody committed to doing their job for eight hours a day. So I would, um, I would challenge these snot-nosed pains in the ass that are claiming that now I'm quiet quitting. What were you doing before? (laughs) Were you really committed to working or were you working five hours over a 12-hour span? Because I do understand the idea of having demanding bosses who expect you to work beyond the times that you've agreed to work. That's not fair. If you've been told by someone that you're not supposed to be working after 5 o'clock, then you shouldn't be working after 5 o'clock. And if people are being disruptive of your personal life after 5 o'clock, then that's something you should have a chat with them about because that is not fair. But that's part of the gig. That's part of the gig, baby. And you and I have been working for a long time. And the number of phones I've seen thrown across rooms, the number of personal holidays, birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, you name it, that have been utterly destroyed because of something that's gone wonderfully wrong in this business, I, don't, I can't even keep count. I can't even keep counting. I mm-hmm. gave a seminar the day after my daughter was born because she was early. I was, I was, I was there the day after my daughter was born in Boston, Massachusetts for expediters in Peabody, Massachusetts in front of 80 people giving an import compliance seminar. Sold out crowd because I had to do it. The number of times I had to fly, fly to Hong Kong, give one speech or give one meeting, get back on a plane and fly back because I had something I had to do a dozen times or shanghai or amsterdam or buenos aires or you name it I, I this is not a business for the meek logistics is a business for people who are going to work very 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 hard because the people that we do it for aren't giving us the money away for free and i think that if you're going to do this business and you're a young person we welcome you but understand our expectations are going to be very high
1: mm-hmm. I have nothing else to say to that Pete because you just nailed it all. <laughs> go, go,
0: quiet. Quit it at like, at like Morgan Stanley, dude. Like, go, go, quiet. Yeah. Quit at Fidelity. Don't, don't come to FedEx or UPS or like CH Robinson or like one of these. Go quiet quit a truck broker. They're gonna find you like in your car crying because you're gonna get, you're gonna get fired fast. Truck brokers ain't gonna put up with that stuff. We're in a warehouse. Mm. You know, why is that guy over there sitting around? We got a lot of work to do. This is not the business for that. Man. This is not the business. Yep. For it.
1: Agreed. Sorry, I get, Agreed. I get emotional. What do you got, man? All right. Oh, I know All what right. you have. I can't wait for this. Yes. This one, I caught my attention literally just this morning. I'm like, bingo. That is the halftime. So there's this farmer. Got to give him credit. His name is Dwayne Hansen. He's from Nebraska. He's been growing. His whole thing is like large pumpkins, right? He's been growing large pumpkins, went to a seminar on how to grow them, and he's been growing this one pumpkin for 10 years. And Shoot. over the weekend... He set a world record by paddling down 41 miles of the Missouri River inside of this pumpkin, rowing in a pumpkin down the Missouri River. He set a world record. The previous record was like 25 miles. The fact that there's even a previous record of this thing is baffling to me. It's comical. But this guy grew a pumpkin for 10 years, gored it out. He's literally inside of the pumpkin. <laughs> He's in the pumpkin and I know Keenan will put a link here to see this thing out. And he took, you know, he probably just got a paddle from a canoe that he had or, or, or whatever from like the eighties. And he's got this paddle. He's got a baseball cap on. He's got like a white Peter white t-shirt on, and he's just hauling ass down the, down the river. 41 miles. Right. And the two funny things on this one, first of all, Dwayne Hansen is a baller. dude. I think that is phenomenal <laughs> to come up with that idea. The <laughs> so two things on this on this deal that he said is to figure out the buoyancy and where he needed to cut it, and how he needed to sit. That he decided to put it into a cement pond, which you and I would call the swimming pool to figure out the buoyancy. Yeah. And then he, then he took it out and then he gored it out. But the funny thing, the most funny thing, and I got to find this to read exactly. This, this is crazy. He said that he wasn't sure if he could do it because he's never been in a pumpkin before rowing down a river. And I'm like, ugh. so when I read this whole thing, Pete, I'm thinking, you know what? As crazy as the world is, and you hear about heat, flooding, fires, craziness, the whole world. You sit here and here's this guy in Nebraska that threw himself in a pumpkin. And he just rode down the river. You know, it makes me oh, say I need to move to a small town in, in, in the Midwest and just really focus on what's important in life. But anyway, love this story. Dwayne Hanson, you're a big baller. Congratulations.
0: So, so Doug, here, here's here's my response. Is there a Guinness Book of World's Record record for tandem two people in <clears throat> a pumpkin? Because if there isn't, you and I are going to grow a pumpkin and we're going to see how far we have to go. I mean, no matter if there isn't one, just the fact that the two of us try to row together in a giant pumpkin, even if we go like fifty feet, that's the new record. Yeah. So I think that we should we should see what the record currently is. If there is one, if there isn't, we need to set the record. Yeah. Second of all, that's the Missouri River. I I live above the Merrimack River. I mean, it's visible from every window in my my home. Uh, I think we should we should do something on the Merrimack river where we try to grow a pumpkin on the Merrimack river. I don't think I have 10 years to grow a pumpkin though, pal. That's um, (laughs)
1: yeah. That is quite a feat in and of itself. Yes. I'm sure Dwayne will hook us up if we need to. I don't, I don't know, but I love the idea. Different river, different coast, different everything. And we should do it.
0: Man. That, I mean, all love and respect out to Dwayne. For for doing yeah. this. Uh that's that's great. That's America right there. That's like rock and roll yeah. cruise missiles and, and the photo, Matt. I gotta give it I gotta give it up to you, man. Way to go, Dwayne.
1: Yeah. So I don't know Kenan, if Keenan's gonna put it up there or down below, but there'll be a link. There will definitely be yeah. a link to go check this guy out. We need Dwayne so. on the show. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But thank you to right. uh to uh, Cap Logistics for keeping the show going and that's it for halftime.
1: You got it. All right, man. <laughs> Letter rip. Oh, topic yeah. two. Uh, topic number two. When you begin to read the
0: infrastructure bill for our, uh, our lovely Congress gave us, one of the things that they did is they actually made it easier for uh, companies to build nuclear power plants. This completely caught me by surprise. I listened to three different podcasts over the course of the past week that pointed this out. They're actually quietly encouraging new construction. So most of what you hear in the news right now is about, you know, possibly a nuclear disaster in Ukraine. Um, There's a lot of talk because of the Three Mile Island uh, documentary that's out right now. What people aren't talking about are the incredible scientific strides that have been taken in safety. The fact that we simply don't have problems in this country with nuclear power Um, and that it's gotten safer and safer and safer and more and more efficient, more environmentally safe and incredibly, incredibly powerful over time. If we're going to rely on electricity to drive people all over the place, we're going to have to get the electricity from someplace. Right now in Europe, you have coal plants firing up again, and we don't need that here. Um, I was watching that Dope Sick with Amy the other day, and part of it, there's people in these coal mines in like West Virginia. I, I mean, I know that's a a financially lucrative way to make a living, but I can't imagine it's a nice one. And I don't want to live in a country where we force people to do that or to keep people's Tesla's moving. So um, nuclear power, man, it's making a comeback. I see a real opportunity here to make electricity from it. I've spoken in the past before about electrified container vessels. This electric has to come from someplace. Let's bring it from the, 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 the most powerful science we have, which is splitting the atom to make electricity. The time has come, Doug. It's time for people to understand what it means and how safe it actually is enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. I love it. We spoke about it a little bit, but it's the marketing like anything else in, in the world. you got to market it because things that happened decades ago, generation ago now, related to Three Mile Island and Chernobyl, that's what's going to draw the headlines. But uh, at some point, it's going to pivot, and all the benefits you laid out uh, are real. They're happening right now, and it can it can make an impact.
0: Dare I say it? Let the Navy run it, buddy. Let the Navy run it.
1: All right, nice. man, take
0: us home. What do you got done?
1: All right. Well, this one, when I, when I uh, was thinking about it, I'm like, this is a very Pete Mento-esque type of topic. You know, I'm usually into trucks and trains and all kinds of other stuff. So I'm queuing this one up for some good, some good, good feedback. So I'm going to keep mine super simple. But I was just thinking... Um, this weekend uh, about all the military exercises and the intensified pressures and tactics that China has around, around Taiwan. <clears throat> Everybody's kind of pounding their chest a little bit. And and what does that mean for, for US imports? And on a very simplistic way, you know, there's uncertainty in the region. Um, there's a really long runway, so to speak, as far as doing any negotiations with Taiwan to have some stability there. Um, and, and the big picture is that, we've made a commitment to say we will stand by Taiwan. Um, so we've kind of drawn a line in the sand to some degree when Biden made that when we had some of our politicians go over and, and, and uh, be on soil. So we kind of got this triangle of Taiwan, US, China, we're trying to negotiate with everybody at once and nobody all at the same time. And what that means is uncertainty. And when people have uncertainty, um, They can start to panic. So I think that what's going to happen is there's going to be the equivalent of panic buying to some degree. You know, uh, the best uh, uh, thing that we've seen in the past is the toilet paper craziness. I'm not saying there's going to be a toilet paper run out of Taiwan, but if you think about that same concept, when there's uncertainty, there will be panic buying. So there will be a stress on the supply chain in Taiwan. Whether something actually happens or not, it's the potential of something happening. Positive or negative. So um, the forward lean on this one, Pete, is we, you, and I made this comment years ago, uh, pre-COVID. Is you better have a plan B because sourcing in Taiwan is going to be a little bit crazy. And if you are a company that has a tough or a, a tight supply chain in Taiwan, you better be hyper-focused on what the plan is there um, specifically. So if you have different things you're working on and your product comes and touches or goes through Taiwan. You better focus there, or you're going to have uh, potential problems moving forward. So um, it's going to continue to be a discussion. Right now, it's political in nature, but you're going to see the direct implications of, of products and tangible things coming out of that market pretty quick. Yeah,
0: uh, it's going to be more than quiet political, too. I think that the whole world is watching. It's just not us. It's it's weird how everyone just slowly let it happen in Taiwan, let the semiconductor thing be so based in Taiwan and how we allowed over decades for it to almost become not single source, but but damn near. And now the United States is going to be investing billions and billions and billions and billions and billions billions of dollars to bring it back home. And we're hearing that best case 10 years, maybe quicker on some of the stuff, but best case about a decade. And that's why, Doug, I'm going to make a big prediction. Ten years from now, China's going to continue to buzz around and be obnoxious, but they're not going to do it. Ten years. Ten mm. years is a blink in the eyes to Xi Jinping. Ten years. As soon as America starts its fab plants, as soon as things start to go okay here, we're going to let them invade. Mm. We're not gonna say a damn thing about it. We're like there is no longer any financial strategic benefit for us with Taiwan.
1: You're welcome. Enjoy. Hmm. We're just gonna let him invade. We're gonna let him invade. And then we're gonna say to save wow. the rest of the world, who
0: needs uh who needs chips? We're open.
1: We should, yeah. Wow. That I had not even thought of that, and it makes a lot of sense as disheartening as it may, um, I can see why it would make sense.
0: We're going to let them invade. And if Taiwan's smart, they're going to see it coming. And they're going to work something out. And before those 10 years, they're going to come up with some kind of a treaty. And uh, it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man, we're going to let them invade. We're going to say you no longer serve any purpose to us other than a political bargaining chip. Strong do what they will, but we accept what they must. 10 years yeah.
1: Interesting. Well, when you're on a boat somewhere and I'm on a beach, you'll have to call me and, uh, in 10 years and we'll, we'll talk about it.
0: Dude, I'll still be working. These kids are expensive. What are you, mm. crazy? I mean, nice. someone's got to teach Keenan how to shave in 10 years. It's not going <laughs> to <laughs> uh, I love it. And with that, uh, that's going to do it for another fantastic episode of Global Trade This Week, brought to you by our great friends at Cap Logistics, as always, Kenan's back in the booth, making it all happen. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have my good friend Doug with me. Um, and we'll see you again next week. Another great episode. Doug, thank you so much. I can't wait for another one. I'll see you next week. Absolutely. Thanks okay. Thanks,
1: Pete. bye Bye-bye.